Hey everyone, ESG Energize is honored to be sponsored by our good friends at mCloud. Their solutions help companies maximize production, automate operations, and optimize predictive maintenance. Their emissions management solution is so relevant right now with the Inflation Reduction Act. Go check out mcloudcorp.com to learn more. Welcome to ESG Energized, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here are your hosts, Delfina Govia. My name is Delfina Govia, and many of you know me as a partner at Veritas Total Solutions, an innovative management consulting firm where I lead the ESG practice alongside my ETRM colleagues. The challenges associated with measuring and monitoring methane emissions are daunting. Add to this the uncertainty of potential reporting requirements. As we attempt to get ahead of these concerns, we need to ask the right questions. So today, we sit down with a 20-plus year oil industry veteran who has made it her mission to understand these complexities and to get from her some advice on how to move forward. Good morning, Alana Black from mCloud Corp. How are you today? Good. Thank you, Delphine, for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic, especially talking to you. Um, And I'm going to confess something. I have been writing a paper and after you and I had, had connected briefly last week, I said to myself, you know what? I'm recording a podcast with Alana. I can just stop writing this paper and stra- transcribe the podcast that we do together. And it's going to be way better than any paper that I can write. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, what, tell, tell my listeners, I know who you are, Alana. Tell my listeners what your, your role is at, at mCloud. Uh, I am the ESG solutions lead at mCloud. So taking um, the oil field um, information, the struggles into and rolling it into um, um, technology and software that can help them enable their sustainability goals, um, ESG metrics, that type of thing. Um, so it, it's, it's awesome to be able to use technology um, as a lever to, to move our industry forward. And I, I believe that's where uh, we need to go to to make further differences in our in our space and our industry. There's definitely a a very long journey that we have ahead of us, and being able to bring the the technology solutions to bear uh, is incredibly important. But the point we we had your colleague on the show, Vincent Higgins, a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, and one of the the points that Vincent made was that mCloud brings these information technology solutions to the table by having not only the technology specialists, subject matter experts, but also having oil and gas industry experts as well. And would you share with your audience, uh, my audience Correct. rather? Yeah. Uh, you, so do you I've have an oil and gas oil background? Gas. <laughs> You bet. For 21 years. And I remember way back in the day when I first started using like PACRs to collect data. And then, oh you know, gosh. of course, the, the grand old Excel, I mean, Excel data. So <laughs> the industry I know for, for my, my tenure of 21 years has been collecting data for, for decades. Um, but it's now it's now actually it's now almost too much um, data, too much information. 
and we're getting bogged down by that. So, so technology can definitely, as I mentioned, be that lever to give us more insight, um, make better, more time decisions, um, and ask the data the right questions. I think that's important. Uh, we still need the intelligence of the people, people behind the scenes that have that industry knowledge to ask the data the correct questions so we can get those answers back to help make the right decisions. So I'm going to build off of that point about asking the right questions and uh, tell my listeners that they're probably already aware, but the reason why I wanted to talk to you today is that next week, the Methane Mitigation Summit, uh, hosted by Oil and Gas IQ, is occurring at the Norris Center here in Houston, Texas, and I think the dates are December 6th through 8th, and having this conversation might help people get prepared for that conference and ask the questions that they should be asking going into a three-day session where they're going to be immersed in the topic of methane mitigation. So if, if you wouldn't mind helping me help my listeners get prepared for that conference, Alana, I would appreciate it very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. I would love to give you the rundown of some of the challenges <laughs> I, that I see that they're facing now and they will be in the future. Um, and I, I really feel that methane mitigation will be another great success story for our industry. Um, but this time we need to do it better. We need to communicate it. I mean, many operators out there for decades have been doing ESG before it was even called ESG. Yeah. Uh, they've been spill reporting, doing environmental compliance, safety, diversity, donations, core audits, volunteering. They've done it. Um, but, but our industry has always kind of been, you know, stay of the limelight. No news is good news. And I think that's really damaged our reputation and the ability to communicate all the good that our industry has been doing for decades. So this methane mitigation story um, is one that our industry can really hone in and showcase the positive results that are happening now and in the coming years. So I do want to touch today on on the new proposed regulations and reporting requirements and the further reduction of methane emissions. And they're great steps forward in our industry, but they're going to come with challenges and and they need to be addressed. So So I think that the first challenge that we could talk about, Alana, is that the topic of legislation, right? Yep. We, We don't have the answers yet. No, we're, we're just waiting. We're waiting for those institutions to make up their minds, to be, to be fair. Uh, federal legislation, state regulations, country specifics, they all vary. This makes it very challenging for our companies in the industry that have assets in, in many different countries or jurisdictional boundaries. There's many new initiatives out there, very large net zero promises, SEC getting involved with climate-related disclosures for investors and wanting to standardize that. And even when all this legislation is passed and, and, you know, they've made up their minds, it's still going to take time to get the resources, the education and enforcement lined up, marching in the same direction. So that could take years. So I totally understand why people are, are waiting for it to get organized. They're hesitating. I can see their reluctance. And then, but by, but why should they do more than the status quo? I, mean, I, I understand those questions, but I'm going to challenge that because I think I think they should start now. I think it will help you in your planning. It'll help you in your your de-risking of your operations, and you're going to be able to see um, what's down the pipe. No pun intended on the restraints and challenges um, that your resources uh, will come up against, and then allow you to budget accordingly and plan. Um, we kind of all remember back in the day when HSC 
uh, came into oil and gas, there was a lot of reluctance. There wasn't any support, uh, resources or training at all. But we would never dream now of running our operations without that established HSD culture or toolkits. And I see methane being very similar. Um, the pressures are not going to let up. And if we've learned anything from HSC culture, it's better to be proactive than reactive. But I think that to your point about how we are today, with HSC being just a fabric of our lives, we we don't start meetings without a safety moment, right? It's just part of who we are, what we do. Same thing as putting on a seatbelt, right? Yep. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there were no such things as seatbelts and there was always resistance. But now people, you don't get into a car without automatically putting on your seatbelt, the same with HSE. But mm-hmm. the difference that I think with ESG is that we have been informed by, our industry has been informed by that history of what it took to get that embedded into the cultures of our various organizations, the culture of our industry, if you will. And that took, it took a long time. I think that ESG, and argue with me, please, Alana, because you've been right there, you know, alongside of me and others for the last 20 years in this this industry, that ESG is going to happen a lot faster. I think that we are going to make this a fabric of our lives within the industry in a very short period of time. Yeah, and just communicate it more, Um, because as mentioned, Many companies have been doing this for decades, these these uh, amazing ESG initiatives before it was called that. And it's just getting the culture aligned up with the right um, the right um, tools and and success stories to share with with the industry of what's been going on. But I think the the challenge I'd like to hear your your perspective on on this. I think the big challenge that we have to overcome. You alluded to it just a few minutes ago. Was the the economic impl- implications, the resources <clears throat> that are going to take? What's your perspective on yeah. that? Um, so the ability to compete and the the economics behind compliance alone. Um, I did read a figure uh, a while ago for a small EMP. It could be as much as three percent of their overall operating cost can be just dedicated to methane compliance. And as, as you know, it's, it's hard enough as it is, but as a small operator, that's a, that's a large piece of the pie. And if regulations become too stringent or burdensome for our, our, our producing um, uh, operators, countries with little or no respect for the environment could become more competitive, more cost competitive. So we gotta, we gotta watch that. And we also we gotta watch, I mean, we, we are all feeling the pressures of high energy prices right now. But, but this, this cost of compliance will and can get passed on the consumer, um, causing that burden as well. Um, so we got to be careful. But I also think, and this is important, I think these regulations and initiatives will push and put North American hydrocarbon production at a competitive global advantage, providing the lowest CO2 equivalent per barrel of oil produced but also keeping more of that product in the pipeline and inventory to sell the market. It's just smart business sense. So I see this as a positive lever to make us more resilient. I agree 100%. Let's drill down uh, on what it's going to take to to get there uh, around those costs. Perhaps one component that you're factoring into your uh, approach to solving this problem and addressing the cost issue is the way that we're detecting emissions. And yeah. there's, it's, it's not that simple. We're not detecting emissions in one way across the board. And it's gonna, there's, there's going to be a complexity there with a cost associated, right? 
Yeah. So we're we're looking at you know we have older infrastructure. Um, we have uh, many different facilities and assets that that could need upgrades, but they it doesn't make economic sense to do that. So that compliance cost comes in. But how we're detecting leaks today? Um, let's just talk about that and how that's going to be impacted as the methane mitigation accelerates. So really, right now, the most acceptable method that everyone's really honed in is OGI cameras, so optical gas imagery cameras. They have uh, their place for sure. They have benefits for certain um, equipment types or environments um, for detecting methane. There's no dispute there, but they come with challenges. And so if we're talking about we're accelerating the methane journey and, and we're ramping up, we're scaling up, what are those challenges going to look like? Well, these cameras alone are over $100,000. Um, they're very technical. So many operators can't afford to have a multitude of these cameras standing by for an operator to come grab and go and, and check for emissions. They require very specific training and hours um, behind, behind the scenes to be able to quantify and interpret those results. So we, we usually see a lot of, um, of uh, our customers um, hiring, hiring specialized survey crews to do that. To, to do that work, I mean, because they, they need so much training. And then the sheer scale and number of pieces that have to be checked um, is time consuming, it's expensive, and it's an ex expansive area, I mean, Canada and the United States alone. Um, that's a lot of territory of, of equipment and assets that are that need to be checked and are underserved, so, so resources. Um, because I'm up in Canada, we do have uh, frequency um, intervals for inspection. So every four months or yearly, depending on, on what your equipment is out at the site. And literally that compounds to millions of different components that could possibly leak that have to be checked. So that compounds the problem even further. Um, and as mentioned, OGI has challenges, but so does every single type of detection equipment. They are all susceptible to interferences, wind, weather, experience, training, and ideal environments. So, yeah. yeah. So, for example, even the satellite imagery that Eye in the Sky is amazing for doing large-scale um, emission surveys, but it, it can't tell you on the ground exactly what's leaking and what's specifically leaking. So you're going to have to take another device and go actually confirm that what part is leaking. Um you have fixed laser um, uh, methane sensors that serve a purpose that are great for assets like tanks that are in the line of sight, but they can be affected by weather as well, and you can't always tell exactly where they're leaking. Aerials and drones are amazing, um, but they need specialized training and they need flight path permissions. I mean, something that, that's, that never was a thing, but now they're, they're requiring flight path permissions. So... There's no one size fits all for detection. Um, it's going to take a multitude of devices in your, your toolkit to solve your methane mitigation needs. I mean, look at the diversity of our infrastructure in our two countries. It's, it's massive from well site to refineries and everything in between, right? Right. So, um, yeah, we've got we've, we've to measure what's coming off of the well sites, what's yeah. going across the refineries, uh, what's going. Uh, I mean, uh, across the pipelines into refineries, even down to uh, the retail part of the business where Delicious. metering, right, mm -hmm. at, at people's homes. Yep. We've got to check Absolutely. that too. So, so the let me good tell news you. is there's, there's uh -huh. lots of funding and grants available now and new technology is being worked on every day. Um, so that, that is the good news behind that. Um, so should we be, do you think that the costs are going to come down? 
Um, as technology advances, I, I think so. Um, just not quite yet. To do to do this R and D and get this right, it's it's a lot of uh, money, research hours, lab time um, behind it. So. I mean, it, it's evolving. So I think eventually, um, as sensors advance um, and the, the market becomes more um, saturated with, with devices, I think gas pricing will come down. But I, I mean, it, with my with my role, I also have uh, the opportunity to read many ESG and sustainability reports for EMPs. And it's, it's great to see a lot are doing very specific trials with many different devices to see what works best for them. And, and also programs just just dedicated to methane. So they have their E, their S, and the G, but they're also taking a side note on just methane um, uh, reduction uh, plans as well. So that's really great to see our industry is is embracing this. Um, and and collaborating, yep. right? Yep. Coming, coming together will will solve the problem. Yeah, so... so- we we talked we talked about you know the device or a device, but that's really not that's that's just finding the leak. And so Sophina, that's one thing we can find the leaks. Great, we know we have methane, uh, but but that's that opens up a whole other issue. The whole the whole point of finding the leaks is actually to fix the leaks, the remediation of the leaks, and this on its own is is a massive large scale. Um, uh, problem or or challenge that is that is coming. Um, in, in your best case, you have your device, you have your survey company that can actually use a crescent wrench or some thread type and fix your leak. But that's as as we know, it's not as easy as that. I wish it was, but it's not. You're going to need a workforce dedicated to these leak report pairs and specialty trades like instrumentation techs, welders, electricians, scaffolders, and and to, to perform these repairs. So you need work orders. You got to align these tradespeople. You have to order your parts. You got to plan for shutdowns, safety protocols. So it's it's pretty complex. Um, and when you do the fix uh, and you have all that done, you need to now verify your fix is holding. Uh, your repair is actually uh, valid. So you know most pay- people refer to the old soap and bubble test. <laughs> You know, yeah, I remember those. <laughs> but, but with, with regulation and, and more, you know, everything more stringent with compliance, you're probably also going to need a device at that point to verify that your fix has actually been repaired. So there's there's that complexity as well. So uh, those are those are some of the challenges in finding the leaks. Is so I'm new- seeing I'm seeing the dollars add up. Yep. <laughs> and to your point about the cost to compete mm-hmm. and. I'm seeing yet another bucket of complexity and cost that you haven't touched on yet that comes from all of this, and that is the data. Yes, death by by data. Death by data. (laughs) Um, You know, oil and gas. I know. I know. We've been uh, collecting data for forever. We are. We are. Data scavengers, we love it. The more we have, we think we're more knowledgeable, and, and it's great. But it's it's getting to be too much. I mean, these these very sophisticated detection devices have amazing high resolution video capturing um, images. These fixed laser scans can send one second interval data to um, to your to your um, information. So. You have you have all this data coming in. You have leak tags. You have leak locations. You have PNIDs, leak rates, work orders, repair notes, 
And this is all just for one week. So you can imagine you have multiple facilities, multiple well sites, and now you have information overload. <laughs> so, yeah. so how do you refine it? How do you action? How do you really drive action on all this information? And I, I really hate to, 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 uh, to mention, but I bet you the fallback, the old classic is Excel, <laughs> Excel spreadsheet. Right. It's going to be, we know it. We just we know, know it. it. We can't help ourselves. Yeah. And I emphasize <laughs> that team or that person that has to do that because they have to collect all this data. They have to get it to the maintenance teams. They have to get it to the regulatory people, the, the accountants, the stakeholders, the ESG compliance teams. It's a lot of work to rework that data to, to their needs. And, and I didn't even touch on, this is static data we're talking about. There's a moment in time you found that leak and, and that's static data and, and there we go. But where these devices are going and where the future is going to drive and demand is real-time data analytics of your leaks. And then we have a whole other issue and that's even more data. Um, again, mentioned death by data. So you need to have some, yeah. some plans plans in place to be able to, to take that data um, structure it, structure it with workflow so it's efficient for the systems that you're using, process that data, learn from it, ask it the right questions. What's it telling you? Um, so you're not burdened by it in, in the future because it's going to come. I mean, we all expect data. We use it every day in our lives and it's coming and it's coming fast with technology. So you need to consider those um, in your, your methane mitigation plans for sure. And you have to be able, what you're saying is you have to be able to quantify the leaks. Well, that's, that's the next complexity is the quantification. So uh, it's difficult. I mean, gas is a funny thing to measure on a good day. It comes in all sorts of states and phases, as you know. And then I already yeah. mentioned there's disruptors in quantification like experience or environmental conditions, the wind. Um, and, and we have a lot of many globally environmental and emission science working on this quantification thing right now and trying to tie it into devices and, and the accuracy of it um, to be able to quantify accurately, but it, it's not there yet. And so just everyone is aware of that. It's not there. And so for reporting right now, what's commonly done is estimations. So they're widely used. Yeah. They take a certain component, they count, they have 50 of those components, they have a leak rate factor, and that's what they report. But, but is that too much? Are we reporting too much or are we underreporting? It's, it's, it's a guessing game right now. And, and if you're doing, if you're quantifying one way, if you're using one way of estimating and I'm using a different way of estimating, how do we meet it all out in the end, right? That's, Especially that's when we're exactly coming to regulations and reporting. A great point. It's, it's so important in the future that these, this legislation, these regulations and these initiatives have some equal playing field because they're all diverse um, frameworks and they're not all reporting equal. So quantification and how we quantify and bring that into these frameworks and these regulations is going to be very important for the future. So we're all on the level playing field. So there's actually one more point that I want to make on the emissions front mm -hmm. um, before I ask you my final question. Okay. And that is, I'm, I'm hoping for your, in, your input on the idea that this is not just about complying. This is not just about getting, gathering data and information so that you can stay ahead of the regulations and not get yourself in trouble. You made a comment earlier about the cost to compete. Mm -hmm. And I would think that all of this is about building this, uh, building our processes 
that we have to develop into our new, a new definition for operational excellence so that this becomes what we do on a regular basis. And it's not just about, okay, here's a leak that we have to repair. It's about I'm going to be able to determine that there's going to be a problem ahead of it, and we can do the proactive preventative type of work that we have so come to build into what we our operational excellence as it, as it exists today. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as to your perspective on that. Well, it, it's early days, right? And and we are going, we are going, we are pioneers in this space. Um, and I know the oil and gas will meet this challenge head on and come up with first in class solutions, protocols, and the way we do business in the future for future generations. I have no doubt. I mean, it's a smart, innovative bunch. Um, I. I think I think that's where you know the, the good lead into getting to getting started. Um, so so learning learning about what your challenges are you're going to be up against, and being being innovative and have an open mind and lean on on the experts, the subject matter experts that are out there. Um, embrace technology with with this challenge. Um, question technology. Make it make it do what you need, but understand your needs first. And and the 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 company is trying to help you with this. Will 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 take your challenges and be able to to push them forward into solutions and give you definitive answers and solutions for this. I I really think um, you know that we just got to get started and and everyone's just got to dig in and start uh, the journey together. And I think as as a group, we're going to be able to solve this no problem. I completely agree. We solve the most difficult challenges that exist on this planet. For decades. For decades. (laughs) For decades. Yes. For decades. Yeah. So here's my final question for you, Alana. Mm -hmm. How'd you get into oil and gas? How does a girl from from Canada, where in Canada are you from? I'm from the lower mainland in in British Columbia. So not oil and gas out there. So this is. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So So how'd you get into it? Yeah, funny story. So my uncle used to drive truck for Chevron and do tanker truck runs. And we go to my grandma's house for dinner every Sunday night. And he'd sometimes roll up in his big truck and honk his horn. And I was always sort of more of a tomboy of my cousins. So I'd immediately run out the door and jump in the truck and he'd take me around the block and, you know, tell me about what he does. And they moved to um, to Slave Lake, and he worked. They worked as well operators. So I was kind of always sort of okay. That's what my cool uncle's doing. Um, and then when I got into you know high school, I kind of turned into a science nerd, and I I just it it sort of just was easier for me. So when I went into my post secondary, I I started in geology. I really it just was simple. I loved rocks. It was it was a no brainer for me, right? But if you kind of remember back in 2000, uh, Briex happened. So that's yeah. when coal mining, and it actually started in Calgary. It, it all collapsed. So some of my buddies that were working in the industry are like, Lana, get out of mining, get out of geology. <laughs> and I was like thinking, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? What else does with rocks? And I'm like, hmm, like petroleum. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I switched. And literally that's, that's, that's how it was. Um, that was my trigger uh, from there. And, it, it was hard because in BC and the Lower Mainland, there's not much petroleum. There's not much, you know, it, it, I knew I'd have to move. So it was funny because Slumberjay had came to recruit at a job fair in uh, Burnaby. 
for IT personnel. And in order to get into the career fair, you had to show your resume and you had to have like proper experience and whatnot. And of course, mine's all, you know, has nothing to do with IT. Security. Not applicable. No, not applicable. <laughs> so the, the, the security guard's like, no, ma'am, you can't come in. And I just sort of said, but, but oil and gas never comes here. And I had a pout on my face. And I, but I'm a very determined person and I'm a little unconventional, but my intentions are always good. So I scampered down the hallway. And as we know, most conventions have those like um, cloth um, Velcro walls. So I, I have of crawled this, on to, under many of them so over I, the years. I crawled through it. <laughs> I snuck into the conference. I ran up to the booth and I said, hi, you're Slumberjay, you're oil and gas. Can I get an interview? And they interviewed me on the spot. And there was my 21 years with them. So funny story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Fantastic. Alana, thank you so much for joining me. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that this was a good uh pre-listen to the Methane Summit next week at the Norris Center put on, like I said, by Oil & Gas IQ. And mCloud will also be there. I think your colleague Vincent Higgins is going to be on one of the the speakers for the agenda. And this is, for me, this was also helpful getting ready for that conference. Oil & Gas Global Network will be there on site uh, recording our podcast. So once again, I want to thank my listeners and ask you if you would do me a favor. In the show notes, you can access uh, Alana's information, and that is with mcloudcorp.com. And also when you go into the show notes to explore more of what mCloud brings, there should be a quick survey question that I need you to just answer for me. It'll take you 10 seconds. Once again, Alana Black, ESG Solution Lead for mCloud. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much, Delphina, for your time today. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. 